work really hard on your technique, but remember the artistry. Um, I look to see the artistry. I'd love to see their personalities, to see how they, how, what we can bring out of them. And you know what the other big thing is? Is the way you are when you're not actually doing the exercise. So if you go and you're sat there sort of like, you know, slimped against the bar going like, God, look at that person, I can do much better than that. I pick up on that. Welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, where you will experience the captivating world of professional ballet. On this show, you will hear what it takes to make it in the exclusive world. Each guest will share with you their struggles, their I've made it moments, and their advice for success. And ultimately, you will learn what it is really like to live your dream. Join your host, Kimberly Falker, and today's inspiring guests as they take you on a behind-the-scenes journey into ballet. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Balancing Point Podcast, where I uncover everything ballet and dance. First of all, I want to thank you for your recent outpouring of support for this show, especially after my lengthy absence. It is honestly your interaction and feedback that helps me know that you're enjoying hearing from my guest and want to hear more, so thanks so much. And speaking of interaction and feedback, I wanted to remind you that I am very active on social media. Uh, We have a private Facebook page um, on regular Facebook under Balancing Point and do a lot of action on Twitter as well. And if you have any specific questions or suggestions, you can always send me an email directly to balancingpointpointe at gmail.com. So let me know if you have any specific questions. I love trying to make sure that I'm providing you with the most inspirational interviews possible. But most of all, I just want to thank you again for listening and to let you know that I appreciate each and every one of you. So today I have a very special guest. Today's guest is Ian Webb, who is the director of the Sarasota Ballet. And as you'll hear in the interview, Ian, who is from the North northern part of England has a very rich and interesting history in ballet which he brings to the Sarasota Ballet and even though Ian doesn't brag enough it's important to emphasize that under his leadership and guidance Ian turned a struggling company around to become one of the biggest up-and-coming companies in the United States and in fact since taking over the directorship of the Sarasota Ballet in 2007 Ian's company has performed over 102 ballets, including 16 world premieres, 55 Sarasota premieres, four new productions, and 27 American premieres. So as you'll learn today, Ian is filled with innovative and creative ideas on how to bring Sarasota Ballet to the forefront of the smaller companies in the United States, and he definitely is proving to be a huge success. So I just absolutely loved hearing all of Ian's stories, and I know you will too. So let's go ahead and jump right in with Ian Webb. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, with our company, what we do is we have to do seven productions, uh, whereas normally it's normally five, and within that five people include Nutcracker, but we have to do seven so and then we're only we rely on dates that are, are available in theaters so i can't 
say, right, okay, I need a six-week period for this or a five-week. We're just given the dates, and I have to try and fit it all in. So, um, you know, I'm really lucky that the companies, you know, the dancers are so brilliant, so quick and enthusiastic and, you know, would really do anything for me. So I'm, I'm really fortunate. Um, well, I'm sure they're fortunate to have you too. <laughs> you usually find harder workers when they like who they're working for. Depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> well, you know, Ian, you started training in ballet at a later later age than many what prompted you to start dancing yeah I um I sort of started when I was 14 I think nearly 15 um and I'm from the north of England um it's a, a small town Scarborough on the seaside and um my mother had a, a school she was an RAD teacher and had a school um and she had one boy Oh. <laughs> who who then refused to go on stage? Oh no! If he was if he was the only boy, so my mother said, you know, that if she gave me some extra pocket money, would I, you know, do something? And I <laughs> said, as long as it's not ballet. And I think I went on and did Fagan out of Oliver or something like that. Um, but it was under the strict instructions: no ballet tights, no ballet or anything. Um, and then I, she had a, um, a good friend of hers who was an examiner um, called in to see her and I was there and I was really taking the mickey out of all the girls and just, you know, sort of prancing around at the back. Um, <laughs> and this lady said, um, are you watching your son? And my mother said, no, and she just take a look. Uh, and then they started obviously watching me as I was fooling around. Um, and then they they spoke, and then they went to speak to my father to see whether they could approach me and ask if I if I wanted to do ballet. Um, and he said, "Of course, you can ask him." And then was <laughs> horri- horrified when I actually said yes. Oh no! Um, it was sort of like I mean, he was he was brilliant because he was born in Scarborough, and all his family were there. And he moved, you know, our family to York in order that I could do extra lessons. Wow. Uh, but never admitted what I did. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, he, he ended up having to have three jobs to pay for me to live in London. And he sacrificed everything, but he never acknowledged what I did. And he would come and see a performance, and he'd see my wife um, dancing, you know, say, Capalia. Um, and she, you know, he thought she was wonderful. And usually David Ashmore would be dancing with her. He thought he was the great guy. He'd come and see me the next night doing exactly the same. And there was just no comment. He just, you know, didn't, didn't, you know, like it. He felt, he felt uncomfortable. I think he was very proud, but he felt uncomfortable. Right. That's so interesting. But yeah. your, your I mean, mother <laughs> had a history in dance then? Well, I mean, she sort of basically, as a young child, she did a lot of the, you know, sort of um, musical, the ballet and tap. She's an amazing tapper and things. Uh, but then she she did this, um, was one of the sort of main people in this thing they used to call Keep Fit, which was really for exercise for, you know, household ladies, you know, sort of business ladies. I mean, now it's all, you know, Pilates and all this, but this was the early one. And it was really the the ladies who said, could she start up a school because they'd like their children to go to it. So, 
you know, she never had a, a, a real profession at it. And then, so I, I basically um, said, yes, I would do it. But again, I said under no circumstances was my mother um, to come into the studio. I was not going to pe- wear a pair of tights in front of my mother. Um, and I remember actually one time, I, I kind of guess I wasn't really that... Um, interested, you know, sort of, I was a bit distracted and I saw her looking through the door. So I got my trousers on and left and went and played football with my mates because I said, you know, she's not to look, she's not to <laughs> come into the studio. Uh, so it was, you know, very much like that. Oh and my then goodness. <laughs> um, I was, you know, sort of went from there. I um, was got an RAD scholarship. They used to do these classes, um, which was free. Um, and there was also somebody called David Gale who set up um, a summer program in Ilkley, which was a few hours away. And he, um, he was, um, it was amazing because at that time he brought in all these amazing people from all over the world and to teach. And I'd always been told, you know, go to the back of the class and follow. So I spent all my life at the back of the class. You know, sort of 14, 15 and these little girls of like nine, it was sort of a bit embarrassing. And then I did this class, and I suddenly found that I was at the front of the the studio. I'd got no idea how to get there, but it was just real fun. And the teacher was Hans Brenner, who was the greatest Danish teacher. Um, And then I worked a lot with him, and then thought, this is really, really what I want to do. Um, so I was 16 at the time, and you know, as every, in England, as everybody does, they go, okay, I want to be a ballet dancer. I'm going to go to the Royal Ballet School. So at 16, I um, a friend was auditioning, so his parents took took me down there and basically did the audition. And um, the Royal Ballet School said I had no talent whatsoever. So, but I, by then I was determined that this was, you know, something that I wanted to do. Um, so I then went to um, the Romberg School of Ballet, which was in Notting Hill Gate at the old Mercury Theatre. And I, I then went there and I remember them saying, well, what's, you know, can you do a tour on there? And I was like, well, what's that? And they said, you jump in the air, turn twice and land. So I went, okay. So I did that and then, you know, went there for basically two years. Um, and then I kind of like, you know, was didn't think because the Royal had said that I, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, I had no talent. I, I started to pursue maybe um, trying to go and do more sort of um, contemporary, more sort of, you know, I used to try and do night classes, at, you know, doing Graham and, and Cunningham classes. But, you know, I didn't really find that my body was, you know, that that used to doing it. it was really a different way that my you know that I was used to um, and then I saw um, the Stuttgart Ballet came to London and they did this huge long season at the Coliseum um, and I was able to get to see most of the shows and you know they premiered um, Requiem there was on Jagen there was you know they were just absolutely the best thing I'd ever seen and um, a few weeks later, Richard Craig and Marcia Haiti were guesting with the Royal Ballet in Taming of the Shrew. So I stood at the stage door to get their autographs, and I said to Richard Craig, oh, you know, 
I saw you a few weeks ago, the company was, do you take, you know, outside, you know, people? Um, and he said to me, he said, oh, look, you know, um, we leave tomorrow, otherwise I could have watched you in class, but just turn up. Now, <clears throat> being from the north of England, if somebody says something, you believe them and you think they're being, you know, so I literally got um, all my money in advance for my 18th birthday and I got on a train and went to Stuttgart and waited at the stage door, Richard and came along and I went, oh, hello, do you remember me? You told me to just turn up. And in hindsight, <laughs> he, you know, he just said that, you know, he didn't know who, you know, just said that to anybody. He probably said it to thousands of people. Right. Um, and he, he was in such a state because the school was on holiday. And he, oh, yeah. um, so he said, well, look, okay, come, come do company class and um, I'll try and sort something out. Well, they actually then offered me um, a scholarship to go um, to Stuttgart School. Oh, wow. But it still meant that my parents had to pay for the living costs. It was only for um, tuition. Um, and they couldn't, there was no way they could afford that. And there was that little sort of inside of me, that northern sort of um, strength. And I thought, well, I'm going to go and see why the Royal Ballet School said I was no good when this amazing company, you know, have offered me a place in their school. So a little bit sort of went back there and just did it out of interest, really. Right. And they, I, you know, at the end of the audition, I went into the head's office and they said, um, oh, now sit down. Um, we're here, you've got into Stuttgart. I was like, oh. Well, yes, you know, and they said, well, we want to know now, if we give you a place at the Royal Ballet School, will you take that? Oh, my goodness. And I went, well, actually, to be honest, I, I only came to have a look, so I just didn't think there was any chance, so I really need to think about it and, you know, talk to my parents and and things. And um, I basically, the government used to pay for, you know, all the, the training and living expenses. And so I got a full grant to go to the Royal Ballet Schools. Um, so that's why I went there, really. Wow. Uh, but I've got an, um, I've got an amazing uh, um, story because when I went to, you know, I'd only seen maybe about three or four ballets, um, you know, so I really didn't know much when I went to London. And I... I got tickets to go and see the Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet. And I went and I saw the first ballet, it was a triple bill. And I went upstairs to the crush bar um, to get a coffee. And I was with a friend and he said, well, look, try and find a table or somewhere where we can sit. So I looked around and there was this little old lady sat on, on, you know, on a chair on this table with three empty seats. So. I went up and said, oh, excuse me, are these free? And she said, yes. And she said, are you a dancer? And I said, yes. And that was probably the first time I'd ever said that to anybody. Aww. And sat down and, you know, she started talking a little bit. But endless people kept coming up to her. And she turned around and go, well, I don't know who that is. And by that point, I was thinking, well, I don't know who you are. But obviously, people, other people do. Didn't think anything of it. Saw the next ballet. And then in the interval, this little old lady came and sort of like tapped me on the shoulder and said, now, what did you think of that ballet? And I went, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like it. And when the Black Queen kills the Red Knight and went on and on and on about this ballet I'd just seen, went back to my seat 
and I couldn't afford a program book because in England you have to pay for program books and the lady in front had the program book open and there was a photograph of this little old lady so I said oh excuse me but who is this lady and they went oh that's Dinanette de Valois who founded the Royal Ballet (laughs) (laughs) but it was sort of like amazing that she came to find me to find out what I thought about her ballet checkmate wow so it was sort of like, you know, I really didn't know anything, but I just got the bug for it. So, so yes, I, I went to the Royal Ballet School then for a year because they said I was too old anyhow. I was 18. Oh, okay. um, and there was an amazing teacher called Terry Westmoreland. And he used to teach the graduate boys and the company. And he went and said that he wanted... You know, me to be in his class the next year. So they actually gave me an, a second year. Um, but what happened was somebody was injured in the Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet, uh, probably like two months into the term. And I went out and started working with uh, on tour with Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet. Um, and then at the end of just kept staying there doing all this, could go back to the school maybe for one or two classes. But um, it got to the point where it was the the year was over, the season was over, and I had the option to go back to the Royal Ballet School for a month. Well, they were already working on their school performance, and I didn't really know what what I was going to do. Um, and we had a guest teacher called Christine Anthony from Dutch National Ballet, um, and she, you know, worked on me a lot, and we we had a great, you know, a great connection. And I said to her, I said, oh, you know, I'm not sure what to do. I've got to get a job now. Um, And she said, well, what's happening here? And I said, well, nothing. I mean, we finish next week and that's it. So she went to see Peter Wright, who was the director, and he apparently said, you know, oh, that student boy, I don't really know. And so Christine said, well, can I take him to Dutch National? And two days later, there was a knock on my door. Can I go to the office? And there was a contract for me. So, Oh, my goodness. In a way my career was done by default because if I hadn't have got a scholarship to Stuttgart school, I would have probably never got to the Royal Ballet School. Right. And, and it's sort of gone on from there, really. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it's interesting because it seems like many, many people's careers were seemingly coincidental, but at the same time, you know, you kind of have to be prepared for those moments, I guess, too, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it is. But then also your tenacity to go to Stuttgart and kind of, you know, Show up is, is very impressive. <laughs> I think it's rather naive, actually. Naive, too, right. <laughs> but still, you know, I think that you believed in yourself to a certain degree rather than just saying, oh, maybe he didn't mean it. Well, I or... just, it was one of those where I just knew that I wanted to, there was something that I wanted to do for the first time ever. And he was, you know, it, it, yeah. And it started off very much that it was the, the you know, the actual physical thing. So, you know, uh, I was, you know, there was a, a, a lady who used to teach her the rumbar and she was um, incredible, Patricia Norman. And um, she had this amazing jump. And we'd be jumping away, and she'd suddenly take off and go, hmm, I said jump. So I was always determined to jump higher than her and then got to, you know, the point where I just, it was the physical challenge. Um, But actually, I was badly injured. I'm going back a little bit. I was badly injured when I was at Romba, and I'm very depressed and didn't know, you know, really I was there on my own, didn't know what to do. And uh, sort of a friend, somebody who was at the school said, oh, look, you know, 
come over on Sunday. Um, I'm having a little tea party and his partner at the time. Um, and I went there and there was, you know, uh, some of the Bali fans and things. He just bought a Padacatra lithograph, an original lithograph of the Padacatra. And for me, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Um, and it got quite, a, you know, a few books and I was able to look at all this history. So suddenly I, I was transforming from the physical side to the, you know, the history and the artistry. And, and subsequently now I, you know, I used to have one of the top 10 private ballet collections in England. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, at the moment in, you know, I've still got things in, in England, but in the house here in Sarasota, there's over 1700 books on dance you know plus a lot of the old romantic lithographs and bronzes and things so it's quite some i'm a bit of a bunhead (laughs) that's really neat well you know it's it's funny it does suck you in you know i'm just the mother of a bunhead but i'm becoming so much more enchanted and entranced by it as i learn more and more there's so so many layers, obviously, but you know, I'm getting more and more hooked every interview I do to go and research something else, you know, because I really, I've, I've seen very few ballets in my life, but now I'm wanting to see as many as I can. And I've really don't know a lot of the history, but I'm learning as I go, you know. I mean, that's what, you know, the, the, I think that's what's great here is because, you know, the, the company love, you know, doing the historical pieces as well. It's important to have things created on them. So when we do, you know, that's so it's a, a real sort of mixture but no I, I kind of um, it, it was one of those situations where I, I just think everything that I was able to you know dance was amazing but you see the thing that what's what some you know that I found difficult you know is um, coming here is that you know how you know to look back and go God not only did I have a great career, but how fortunate because I'd walk in the studio and there would be Sir Frederick Ashton and, and Dame Nanette de Valois and Kenneth Macmillan and all these great legends who were really like family. I mean, like, you know, Dame Nanette, we always used to call her Madam. So, you know, we would go around to Madam's house at least once a month and sometimes she'd come to our house. She was she was part of our family. She guided my wife's whole career from when she was at the school right the way through for 25 years she danced for the company. So, But they were there or Sir Fred would, you know, it was just an incredible time. And, you know, when now when I'm with the dancers here, we talk about Sir Fred and Madam. And, but I always make sure that when I'm staging a ballet, that if we never, if my wife and I hadn't danced it, we always get somebody in who worked directly with that choreographer. Then the history is passed on, and, and it, it, that's vital, is that. And I, I would think that that would really feel great for the dancers, because then you really feel like you're doing it service, you know, you're doing it correctly. Yes, yeah, and, you know, we, it, I think... Last year we did Sir Fred's um, birthday offering, which is fiendishly difficult. And he made it for, for seven of the principal dancers at the Royal Ballet, uh, you know, ballerinas. I mean, there was, you know, Dame Margot Fontaine, there was Dame Beryl Gray, the, you know, all those, again, legends. Um, and it was, it was really inspiring because my wife, 
you know, got all the, the girls together and she explained about how Sir Fred had made this. And then she spoke about each of them. So she was saying, oh, and Dame Margot was such a wonderful performer, but a wonderful person and how she would, you know, sometimes come in a dressing room and do her hair or that relationship or Svetlana Berosova, how she would coach her and all the different ballerinas. So the dancers began, began to know, A, what they danced like and what their history. Elaine Fifield, Maggie said, well, you know, I've never, I didn't actually know her, but she was very famous for Pineapple Paul and different ballets. So she was very soubrette and that's why that solo is this way. So she gave them all that extra knowledge about the people because that ballet is about those, that original cast. Um, so, you know, the dancers are, are, are really absorb all that. You know, and um, one one particularly one of my principals, she'd been to London um, a few years before, and we were in the performance, and we introduced her to Dame Beryl Gray, and my Maggie was saying, "Oh, now I think you're gonna we're gonna try you in, you know, Dame Beryl solo." She said, oh, "And I've met her, and she was like this, and the all the rest of the dancers got inspired because of that." So, you know, it, it's a it's a great it, it's a really great place here. I, I'm really very happy with everything, you know that's happening you know and when I look at all the dancers I've worked with around the world I, this is for sure the happiest that you know I've been. Oh that's nice to hear. I'm sure it shows for your dancers. I think it makes a huge difference in how dancers grow and perform based on who's directing them. Well hopefully I mean that's what it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go into the the Sarasota piece I do want to kind of so you retired from Royal Ballet after dancing how long with them? I danced for Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet in the Royal Ballet for 18 years. Okay wow that is a rich history. Yeah and I danced for my I always say my dancing roles was really with the Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet that's when I would do you know um Colas in La Female Garde, Sylphides, Petrushkas, you know, all the main rep there. And I, and I stopped really early. I mean, I could have gone on for a longer time, but it, I, I remember really very clearly, I, I was doing The Prince in Swan Lake. It was Act 3, I'd just done the Pardo de and the solo, and I came off stage and I sat in my chair in the wings with... Um, my dresser, David, who used to look after me, and I got, I went, you know, I get so nervous. I've done it. I just, I'm not a prince. I mean, you know, I am who I am, and I'm not a prince, and I really get, I don't want to do it wow. anymore. So it just kind of hit you. Yeah, I mean, because I am who I, you know, I'm just me. I'm from Yorkshire, and I'm, and I'm not a prince. <laughs> but I was the one at the time that when they were, you know, doing it, the... And I, you know, and I've, you know, ticked it off. I've done it, but I, I felt that I used, to, I used to get really very nervous for shows. I used to, um, and that was one of the things. And I found it much easier when I was doing sort of characters. So when, you know, if you was Petrushka, it wasn't Ian Webb on stage. It was Petrushka, um, and it, it gave me that shield where I could slightly hide behind because it was that character. And that, so then I went to um, Covent Garden um, mainly to do a lot of those sort of roles. Um, and at that time, I was also working a lot with, you know, different festivals would ask me to present things. So, you know, I introduced dance to the Harrogate 
International Festival, which was a music festival, and and I was still with the I was still with the Royal, and you know I brought over you know Stuttgart Ballet, the Danes, um, Paris Opera, New York City Ballet, a lot of the sort of soloists or young ones who you know it was like a little group we performed there, so I loved doing all that, um, and you know for instance Johann Coburg. Um, I was the first person to bring him to England to dance. And what I did was when I was with the Royal Ballet, I took, I think it was six weeks, unpaid leave of absence to go to Denmark to see how they restaged and looked after all the Bournemouth ballets. And there was this young dancer, I think he just joined the company, who was just the most amazing um, dan- dancer. And I'm, you know, the sort of like, could imagine, you know, an Eric Brun type figure, and and then I went back to England and was asked to put this gala together. So I rang him and said, you know, come on, do you want to come over and dance in England? And he, that's how our friendship started. But you know, so I had a lot of things like this. And when I was with the Royal, I, um, my wife and I, we set up an organisation to help um, dancers with HIV and AIDS. Um, and it was one of those situations where, you know, we were losing friends or, you know, people that, you know, really admired. And there was this whole stigma about it being, you know, a gay disease. And, you know, and it just set absolute hell in me because I went, you know, look at the devastation the virus causes. And... Then I went, you know, I've fought all the time about with the stigma, oh, you're a ballet dancer, or, you know, all like this. And I thought, you know, this is enough. And so I was quite, you know, a spokesperson to, you know, to sort of uh, help him with, you know, people to understand the virus that causes, you know, AIDS. And, And with that, we also wanted it to be something that we would be for the dancers so if we set it up there would be that slight sort of stigma it's the royal ballet so we wanted to make sure that anybody could approach us and we used to do fundraising we would help them get appointments earlier than they probably could have done because we worked with crusade and i was in touch with dancers responding to aids in new york and they advised me a lot of things um so what happened was my wife read an, uh, an interview with um, a young choreographer, Matthew Bourne, and she said, you know, there's something about this interview that he comes across as such a really nice guy. I think, why don't you try and touch, you know, ring him and and see if he would come in with us. So that's how I met Matthew Bourne. And then we really met, there was a few of us who really worked very hard for, for dance care. Um, and we got to know Matthew, and then he invited me to be on his board. And I was still working with the Royal Ballet, and I was on his board. And then I introduced him to Adam Cooper, who was one of my closest friends. Um, and it was all just before he was going to make Swan Lake. And suddenly, of course, he eventually made Swan Lake on Adam. Um, so, and, you know, I helped, you know, with Matthew. You know, I used to go on tour with him and. If I didn't have any rehearsals or performances, I would go, you know, go and find out where they were, and I'd go up there and and see, you know, and helped him put a structure in a way, you know, casting structure and everything um, with his company. So then I 
came to retire from the Royal Ballet and Matthew asked if I would be his rehearsal director. So I worked with Matthew Bourne for three years. And, and you were still with Royal, or, or at that point did you retire? No, I, I, it was when I retired, when I stopped. So after 18 years, um, you know, I, I had visions of maybe taking over dance books that used to be in London or, you know, trying to buy the Mercury Theatre into, into a museum. But, you know, the reality was, was that Matthew came up and said, would I, you know, would I work with him? Because the company, you know, he started... You know, when he did Swan Lake, he had the company before that was probably eight dancers in a van going round, and then suddenly he did Swan Lake, and he, you know, he'd never worked with so many people, and you know, we were very, you know, great friends. Um, and so he asked if I, you know, would come there. So I worked with him for three years, and then I was just about to sign a contract. To be, I think it was something like touring director of the Swan Lake Company and I got a, a phone call from a, a dancer Tetsuya Kamakawa um, and he left the Royal Ballet with a whole group of you know soloists and principals and it was setting up his or set up his own company in Japan um, and he phoned me and he said um, we're going to do Sir Frederick Ashton's symphonic variations. We're doing 22 performances all over Japan. And I need somebody to um, to look after it because, you know, he would be dancing the roles. And um, I then had a meeting with him and Michael Nunn. Um, and they went, okay, we'd like you to come and work, but it's for two and a half months only. And I was looking, you know, there Matthew Bourne was a year's contract, and this was only two and a half months. And my son was at a private school in London, which cost an arm and a leg. Um, and I spoke to my wife, and I went, and she went, you've got to go where your heart is. Um, you choose. So I went for two and a half months to Japan, and basically ended up staying there for eight years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I used to go there for two months, two and a half months, and then come back to London for two months, and then back there. So I, I really, in a way, worked, you know, half a year, but it was back to Japan. You know, you've mentioned your wife, and she's a dancer. Did you meet her at Royal Ballet? Yes, yes, she was. Um, her name's Margaret Barberi, and she was when I first joined the company. She was sort of like the main dancer, so she was... You so know, you set your sights at the highest level. <laughs> I, of course, yes. But it was very much in those days, it was a hierarchy where, you know, the, you didn't really speak to people. Oh, okay. It, it was, you know, there was a real ranking system and, you know, all things like that. And so what I used to do was, um, I used to always, you know, be watching her from the side of the stage. And then I used to get... Um, to the, the the guys in the company, um, Kim Reader and Nicholas Millington, and I used to go, oh, um, you know, we'd be in the middle of, you know, England somewhere, and I'd go, why don't you ask if uh, if Margaret wants to come out for dinner, and then I can join, and so <laughs> <laughs> they used to ask, and then I, so that's how I got to know her, and and um, eventually when we were we did get together, it was a huge scandal. It was oh really. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of. Um, I think I, I think I think I almost went. I think I did walk-ons for uh, you know almost a year. I think because they 
they thought that I was going out with her to, you know, sort of improve Elevate my your career. career and oh, all like this, and it would never last. And we've been married now for, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong now. How long have I been married for? It must be 30, about 32 years. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, our son is 26. So, um, and anyhow, where does he live? Well, actually, he um, he was in London, and he was basically went to um, Durham University to study business. Okay. Um, and Durham University is one of the sort of red brick universities, but he absolutely hated it. Oh. Um, he stayed there for almost a year and a half, and then went, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to come back to London. And he then went into retail and was manager of um, one of the sh- shop there and things. And then he kept saying, you know, I'd love to do arts administration. Um, you know, I've been around it all my life, the theatre, and that, and I, I think that I would like to, you know, do that. Um, and what I did was we, we brought him to America as an intern. And he came um, just for six months because I thought... I don't want to sort of start trying to open doors for him if he doesn't really like it. He doesn't, you know, he's very good business-wise, but he doesn't know what it's like to work in the arts. Um, And the funding in America is very different, I mean, you know, than it is in the UK. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, England's going to be like America, where it's not going to be government-funded. It's going to be literally, you know, um, sort of, corporations if you're lucky and individual um, donors so I thought it might give him an insight into that um, so he came here um, the man, my managing director who's brilliant she sort of really guided him and, and really looked after him and it ended up that um, the board Marianne my managing director and all the donors said but Jason's got to stay we oh. want <laughs> so I kind of went, well, okay, you know, you hire him, you fire him. I don't want to get involved here. Right, so, true. So he's now here and his fiance, um, they've been together for quite a few years, um, is a, got um, into the Ringling School of Art and Design, which is one of the top schools in oh America. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. Yeah, so it kind of all fitted into place, really. Wow, and that's nice to have family there, too. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, his fiance's with Ringling, or he is? He's working for the Sarasota Ballet. Okay. And his fiance's um, studying fine arts wow. at the Ringling School. Now, is she British as well, or did, is she She's from? actually Polish. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very um, yeah. international here, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then you, so you spent some time in Japan and um, did, over that course of time, did you miss performing or you kind of felt like it was a great no. next chapter? No, I mean, it was basically one of those where um, you, I believe that when you make that change, you should do that. And, you know, you sort of, um, and I'd had such a great career. So I, I was fully focused on on the, you know, management. I always liked to be behind the scenes. I I was somebody who, you know, didn't want necessarily my name everywhere. It was all, you know, I just wanted, I was interested in projects. Right. Interested in fixing things, interested in, you know, really, you know, doing all that side of it. 
so I really, you know, didn't really miss. Um, and, you know, the next thing is, you know, do, do I have any regrets? And I, I guess everybody does, but one of the big regrets I had was um, because I was very much adamant that, no, I wasn't going to go on and perform, I, that side had finished. Um, it was in 2000. Um, it, we were going to be in, you know, we were rehearsing in London and then going to go to Japan to do a big tour and we were going to be doing Roland Petit's Carmen. And, you know, so suddenly I met Mr. Petit and, you know, we, we connected really well and we got to Japan and he came in early for his rehearsals and he saw me teaching and, you know, I used to jump and demonstrate, you know, all the time and he suddenly went, I want you in the ballet. I went, oh no, Mr. Petiti, I can't, you know, I'm management and that's, you know, you shouldn't step backwards and forwards over that line. The next day he came in, I've got to make a solo for you. And I went, oh, you know, it's really flattering, but no, I can't, you know, I used to get so nervous and I was only very, only happy when I used to be, you know, behind a mask. And no, 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 I can't possibly... He came in the next day, so this is the third day, and went, okay, you could wear a white face. And I made the solo, and I, I should have done it. But I was Aww. so, like, feeling that, no, yeah, my job statement. is to look after yeah. all the dancers, the business side of it, and so I turned that down. Can you believe it? Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I could see why that might be one regret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was such... An incredible man, fascinating. Wow. I adored him. He was wonderful. Aww. And again, that's... another legend that's no longer with us. Yeah. yeah so. so your wife was still dancing when you were going through this, through all of your producing and, and travels to Japan and such. Well, she basically, no, she'd stopped, so she started teaching. Oh, okay. Uh, Did she teach there at Royal Ballet? She taught for a while, she taught all the solos at the Royal Ballet School, and then she was brought in to head the classical program at the London Studio Centre. Oh, wow. And there, and this is going back quite a while, and there she, she set up the first um, BA honours degree program in classical performing arts. Oh, that's amazing. And now every school or almost, you know, tries to have a, a BA honours degree associated with them. Uh, but she was the first one to put that together. Um, and, you know, she was sort of um, there. I mean, she did, you know, with her students, you know, she would, um, they would go on tour. She would teach them all the different skills. And in, in actual fact, she was the first person to commission Christopher Wielden to make a piece. Oh, wow. And also the first time that Matthew Bourne ever worked with any dancers that were classically trained. And so she commissioned, you know, a huge amount of ballets, um, you know, for, for her performing group. Wow. So then what brought you to Florida? An aeroplane. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Um, well, it was one of those where, you know, I was very happy, you know, working with Tetsuya in Japan. I was the you know, assistant director there. Um, but the more being there with him, we used to bring over a lot of Western male dancers there to perform. 
um, and then doing these galas, more and more people kept saying, oh, you know, if you do anything, we want to, you know, work with you, and you should set up your own company, and it really came from dancers that started me thinking, and then, it, I, you know, just one night I was talking, and I said to, you know, my wife, I said, you know, well, you know, if I, do you think it's something I should look look to? Um, you know, because if I don't do it now, I'll be too old. Um, and she said, yes, you, you, know, you, should, you should go for it. So I'd heard that there was a position free um, coming up in the Sarasota Ballet. So I sent all my CVs and everything in there. And um, I was asked, you know, by a search committee to come over. And I came over for three days. Um, had endless meetings, taught the company, um, and, you know, then suddenly got a phone call saying that, you know, I'd been selected. And it was really, in hindsight, the first time that I'd ever really auditioned or been interviewed or everything. I'd kind of, throughout my career, right. was just there at the right time. The door was opening and I was there. So it kind of was, and it, it was very much a case of, um, you know, in the process here, they were asking me questions about my career, and I went, well, it's, you know, it was a very nice career, thank you very much, but we're not talking about my career, we're talking about what, um, you know, what I can do here, what what would I bring, uh, and one of the things that I did when I was given the position was I put the other hat on, I, I put a hat on as a presenter, and I thought, I have so much money in the budget, I want to present a company, and I looked at all the companies that were sort of around the size of the Sarasota Ballet you know, and their budgets. And to be honest, I, I could have closed my eyes and just pointed at any company, really, because they all seemed to be doing the same. There was nothing really, really exciting. There was So I kind of then immediately went, okay, we've got to make the company unique. We've got to really make sure that the rep we do is of you know, high caliber, but things that a lot of other companies haven't done. And sort of this is my seventh year, and I think we've done 99 ballets in seven years. And, you know, a lot of them, new, you know, world premieres or new, you know, first time in America or, you know, all forgotten pieces. So... Um, I kind of kept that. So when you say that you uh, you looked around and, and saw everybody doing the same thing, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you know, you could say that, you know, oh my, you know, how many companies are going to do Dracula and how many companies are going to do, you know, they, everyone just seemed to be doing the same ballets or have the same outlook. There was nothing that jumped out and went, oh, wow, they're doing something really unique there. I like that, you know, to bring them. As a presenter, I also thought, well, look, you know, okay, three companies are doing Dracula. I'm going to not look and see which is the best company. I'm going to look and see which is the cheapest to fly them to where I want them to. Do you know what I mean? So you have to look at the bigger picture, really. Yeah. Um, that's why we've built up, you know, this sort of unique repertoire here. And I've been really, really lucky. I mean, I, I say when I came to Sarasota, I brought two things. I brought my address book and I brought my wife. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, with with all our connections and, you know, it was one of those, you know, and the way that she coaches uh, the dancers, it's, you know, incredible. 
So when you went down for your interview or audition, I guess, like you said, who was the one, who did you interview with or who were the decision makers? There was there was um, a, a sort of there was about six people from the board. Okay. Um, and they, you know, they were sort of asked, you know, experiences, what I would do. And, and so it was really, you know, and then what, you know, one lady, um, the most remarkable lady who's become a very good friend, she said, well, okay. And I didn't know who she was. She said, oh, well, just pretend that I'm going to come to you and say, I'd like to give you some money to present a ballet. What would the ballet be? Try and sell me that. Try and convince me that I would want to give you money. Um, so I immediately started talking about Sir Frederick Ashton, Sir Fred's The Two Pigeons, um, and, you know, really sort of told her all the story and, you know, everything about it. And I think that was when she went, okay, I want to see that ballet. And it was indeed the first ballet I did here. Wow, that's <laughs> neat. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened with the um, previous uh, director, or kind of what was happening with the ballet at well, the time he, when you arrived? I think that um, I have to be very diplomatic here. Um, I mean, basically, he'd been here for a long time. He, you know, he was asked to leave or retired, um, but didn't really want to. Uh, but the, the, you know, the caliber of the works weren't my cup of tea. Um, and, you know, one of the things I fought for many years was this thing of, when are we going to do Swan Lake? We've done Swan Lake before, but when are you going to bring Swan Lake in? And I went, you know, that's in my blood. That, you know, not all the time with the Royal Ballet, but also Matthew Bourne. So the Swan Lake's always been there. And I said, not for a very long time. Mm. Because... Sarasota is a place where we have a lot of the snowbirds or right. people come here who've lived in New York, Boston, Chicago. They've seen all so the big companies. It, and yeah. then what they would do is they'd come here and they'd see, you know, like eight little swans on each side and they'd go back and say, oh, our company did Swan Lake, isn't it sweet? And they went, you're automatically telling everybody that you're provincial. that you're." And uh. I said, we'll do Swan Lake when I can do it at the, the caliber of how it was created with the full amount of swans. I, I'm not going to cut edges because right. then you become, you know, a borderline, you know, of, of you know, and I'm very, you know, I, I'm perfectionist. I, I, you know, and I want to be able to sit in the audience and be able to justify why I'm doing it. And also if I was paying for the tickets, I would want to enjoy it. So, you know, with when I program ballets, I, you know, do a Balanchine piece, an Ashton piece, or, or Hans van Manen, um, or something really, you know, very cheeky like Matthew Bourne's Infernal Gallop, or I can justify why I bring the ballets in. I can't justify when I'm trying to sort of degrade the art form in a way. You know, I, I can't. Sense, yeah. I couldn't bear to sit and watch these little productions of Swan Lake. So why would I make my own company do it and ask people to come and see it? Right. No, that's that's wonderful. It's been, you know, it's been quite interesting. I tell you a funny story. Was um, I was doing? You know, we did a Nutcracker here, and it was harmless. It was from the previous director. The the sets were kind of falling to bits a little bit. It was very old, um, 
and I did it in my subscription. And I got so many people saying, oh my God, we don't want to see Nutcracker, why are we seeing it? And they started complaining, and I went, this was the Friday, and I was going to print on the Monday for a brochure or something. And I went, okay, what happens if we didn't do Nutcracker? <laughs> and we came in with something, so I rang Jesse, um, Twyla Tharp's son, and I went, oh, Jesse, I don't know if you remember me, but... Um, if I was to cancel Nutcracker, would Twyla let me do in the upper room? And he went, Ian, you're mad. He said, you're in America, everybody does Nutcracker. I went, no, no, seriously. If I did, if Twyla would allow me to do in the upper room instead of Nutcracker, he went, okay, I'll ask. And he said it was the quickest contract they've ever done. They thought I was totally mad. Um, and I cancelled that crack and we did a triple bill instead. Wow. Because they needed to see things. It, it, it kind of... Um, so I'm, I'm kind of not really one of those who goes, okay, this is a round hole, let me go into that. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to go... I, I have to do things the way that, you know, it, it makes a difference. Well, it, it clearly is working because, you know, congratulations to you. You've got a new contract for another six years. I know, which again is, is some people are going, but, well, how come he's got a 10-year contract? There's never been 10-year contracts given. But I think it's basically because, um, you know, we, we went through such a hard time here where yeah. we uh, were trying to keep the door open. Um, it, it was a really, you know, when the economy dropped, you know, we... Yeah, you were right in the tough of the times, right? Yeah, we were going to really just close. And oh. we managed by, you know, the generosity of some of the choreographers and, and trust. They gave me ballets because they trusted that I would do, do them it right. right. Yeah. Um, and then going forward with, you know, the plans and the dreams, that, the vision that I have for the company... You know, I want to bring in the, uh, the, a BA honours degree course here. Oh, neat. So it would probably be one of the first that's really attached to a company. Oh, that's neat. And, you know, we've got now a new conservatory, which started last year with 12 of the best students that was around here. This year, there's 24. And so we want to build up that. So there's a lot of... Now, is that like a trainee program when you say conservatory? What does that... Well, this is where they're starting from sort of, I think the youngest is 11. Okay. And we're, eventually we want them to be able to be, you know, homeschooled within the building and sort of make it what in England we'd call a vocational program. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's sort of, the, so that started. But then I also want to put in this BA honours degree course because I also, once that's set up, then what I'll do with the dancers in the company is we'll get creditations for their careers. Oh. So that if they want to then do extra work to be able to get a BA, because, you know, at the end of the day, again, I was very fortunate because, you know, I went from a great career into, you know, working with all these great people and being here. But it, that's not always the case. Our careers are so short. Right. Yeah, you do have to have plan B. Yeah, where we can, we can help help them. You know, we in the summer, one of my principal dancers, she was 29, um, suddenly came in the middle of the summer said, I've decided I'm going to stop. I'm going to retire. 
And I went, but you, it's, that's crazy. There's so much you've got to do. And she said, no, I think it's time. And I was like, well, what are you going to do? And she said, well, I, I did have a, a sort of a degree from Butler University in Arts Administration, but it was a long time ago. And maybe I'll do some lessons and see. And I went, okay. Overnight, I thought about it. And I made a new position to make her as the outreach coordinator. But I can't do that with everybody. <laughs> but but what I, I can do is try as much as I can to help them. Right. You know, first of all, help them have a really wonderful career and really fulfilled, and then guide them in this difficult transition because it is. It's you know, a lot of dancers start as young as three. Right. This all they do, and then suddenly, whether it's an injury or they get to that point, you know, in, with their bodies, that they stop, and then you go, well, what do you do now? Right, right. Who are you? Yeah. So I'm very conscious of that, I, and the same as you know, I think because of you know my upbringing and, and everything that I, you know, wouldn't expect a dancer to do something I wouldn't do. Right. And also, I'm very aware. Of, of their needs and and you know so I'm very conscious I haven't forgotten what it was like answer and you know yes the grass is always greener on the other side and you know <laughs> more times than not you get there on that grass and you find that it's asphalt it's the plastic grass but that's you know they've still got to they've still got to look and they've still got to you know have but as long as I can give them as much fulfillment so when you got um, to Sarasota and started with the company did you do a, a whole lot of new hires, or what was the... Well, I did I did increase. I mean, um, I'm not going to say who it was. Somebody did say, what you want to do is go in there, wipe the board clean, and just start afresh. And I said, no, everybody has the chance, you know, has yeah. that opportunity. Um, so a few people I didn't hire, but the most of them I kept on, and then I increased the size mm. of the company. I did an audition in New York. Um, and then, but, you know, the way that it's evolved is that, you know, the, the ballets we do are of that certain caliber, the, the more difficult than they were used to. It, it's run very professionally. It wasn't sort of like, you know, well, I'm not coming in today. I'm going to go fishing, uh, yeah. <laughs> which it kind of did before. Um, but as it happens now, seven years later, I've only actually got one member um, Kate, who's one of my principals, I, I made her a principal a few years ago, who was in the previous company. Oh, interesting. So how many um, company members total are there now? We've got now 41 professional company members. Wow, that's a pretty big size, actually. And then I've got eight um, apprentices. Okay. And, you know, I kind of also feel that, you know, I, I'm looking now at this stage of maybe coming up to New York to do an audition, but I don't go there every year. Right. You know, I don't. I only go if I know that I'm going to have some places because, again, you're building. I, I have to remember what it was like when I was starting out and I went down to, you know, London and all this. So I will only, you know, hold an audition if I have places. And then where did you get your apprentices from? Were they from the school itself or outside of? No, the school The school is now just building up where eventually the school, I hope, will be all that, or the conservatory. But, you know, when I got here, it really, you know, I asked the, the teachers, well, why do we have a school? And there was a deathly silence. So I went, okay, <laughs> why do we have a school? 
still nothing. I went, well, I was hoping that you were going to say to feed the company and went, well, that's what it was. But <laughs> it was really not in a great condition. So it's oh. still, even now, still a work in progress. That's why I put the Margaret Barberi Conservatory uh, program is, is in order that we can then, you know, feed from that into the company. So is that associated with the school or is it totally separate? It's associated with the school. I mean, Margaret oversees it all and we have the teachers that work there, but she oversees it. But it's really those vocational um, students. And when you say vocational, they're doing online school? The ones that I think that are going to be able to make it in the career, the ones that I think have the talent you know, and, and are focused and hungry for it. I used to have um, a trainee program. Okay, so it's not a trainee program? No, this is, no, it's not because they're younger. So a lot of people have trainee programs. And, you know, I believe if you're going to call it a trainee program, you should be training people. So, you know, quite often, and that's, you know, I'm not criticizing any other organization, but when I got here, it was a case of the trainees would do class with the company, if the company were rehearsing and they were covering, they would be in it. If not, they would have the day off. Well, that's just more, um, you know, cheap labor than as opposed to, you know, you're not paying them, but you expect them to do what the company does or not do, you're not training them. So we have a, a, an actual, they have their own schedule, which only changed if they cover one of the pieces or are in one of the pieces with the company. And actually, this year, I'm not running it because I didn't have the right people that I believed in to be able to make it either with our company or pass on to others. And I went, you know, you're just building false hope. It's such a hard profession that you're going to give these, you know, students or these young dancers come here for two years and then you go, thank you very much. Right. And I'm going, I, I, I kind of try not to get in that. It, it does happen, obviously. You know, I have eight, eight apprentices now. Well, they have the first choice into the company. They, they are who I'll pick first. Um, but I might not have eight places for them. Or there may be people higher up in the ranks that I, with experience that I need to bring in. So it's, it's, it, you've got to play it very carefully. But back to the conservatory, you kind of hope that the training might prepare them for a professional career. The training is preparing them for a professional career. Okay. And did those kids audition or did you hand select them or both? Some of the, in the first year, um, I selected them from within the Sarasota Valley School. So they were the ones that I felt had. And then, then people are auditions. So if you think that if it started off last year in its first year with just 12, so we've doubled it. So therefore it means that people, like one girl travels from Clearwater here every day. Does she? Wow. And then I've got other people that have actually, um, parents have moved here to be part of the program. So yeah, so the, eventually that's what it will be. It will be the, the conservatory will be the ones that will feed um, the company. And I think our art form is so brilliant, but there are some of those sides of it where you, know, you just, you know, do you open the door and just go, okay, I'm gonna train all these people, but really I don't 
believe that they'll make it or I just, you know, I'm just thinking of the dollar amount or do you go, who's got the talent, what's the artistic quality they've got, how can we guide, how can we help them, you know, so and, and I still look on it, you know. Some people think I'm naive, but I, I believe that you've got to be, you know, you've got to be true to, to the art form and true to your word, really. Well, you know, it's working. You're, you're, you're growing and you're... I've been lucky. <laughs> well, no, it's, I think it's more than that. You're very thoughtful. I think that slow down and really think about it from, a, um, like you said, not forgetting what it feels like to yeah. be on the other side is not only appreciated, but I think that's where you get the most from somebody and that will pay off and because the audience will see it too you know and then they'll pay to come (laughs) i mean we've been as i say we've been very lucky and you know and i and i you know as you've probably gathered from this that um my mind's always on something else and you know i come up with another (laughs) idea and you know i have literally um with the company if you think we do you know seven productions it's a 30-week season seven productions um, 41 dancers and all the fi- figures I've given you, we actually have eight full-time members of staff. Yeah, that's amazing. So they all wear, you know, different hats. They're all, you know, multitasking. Uh, but again, they're wonderful because they believe in it. And, you know, we, as a, you know it's just... Um, I, I can't get over how fortunate I am because... You know, some some people can't exist unless they've got, you know... I mean, there was one point when I'm, I'm sat here now and looking out of the window where I used to be on a 12-foot ladder hanging the banners at the front of the theatre <laughs> because to get someone to do that would have cost me $100 and I needed $100 to buy a new pair of point shoes. And I thought, well, you know, I can climb up that ladder Aww. and do that, so I might as well do it myself or you know, be out painting the shoes because, you know, we were running out of time or we didn't have enough people to do that. You've got to be hands-on yeah. and you've got to do, be prepared to do whatever you ask anybody else to. And I think that's, you know, my upbringing from the north of England. Yeah. Really. So is the, um, are you associated with the school then? Yeah, my, my head is on the chopping block for anything to do with the Sarasota Ballet. So... <laughs> We have the company, we have the apprentices, the conservatory, the school. We also have an amazing, absolutely brilliant program, which is for children at risk. So we, we, the, we go to the schools and we look at the schools then that usually the head teachers will say, look, can you particularly look at this child? We're worried about them. Um, and what we do is if they, they come to us you know, twice a week, three times, and they build up. But if we do an hour's ballet or movement, so we use the discipline of ballet and the working together as we do in the ballet company and building up their confidence, we, they do an hour of that, and then we do an hour of the, working with them on their homework. And if their grades keep up and they stay with the program for 10 years, they get a scholarship to go to college. Wow. Did you start that program or was it? In no, it was, no, it was started by our founder, Jean um, Widener-Goldstein, who used to be a principal dancer with Stuttgart. But it was the best thing I inherited. Uh, but it used to only last for six years. So you used to, the, the kids used to come to us sort of, I think, like grade three, I think you call it here. 
Then they would stay for, I think it was eight years. And then they would have to wait two years before they could go to college. Well, if you look at a young person these days, they're, they're very vulnerable at that young age. But then when they get... Then when they get to, you know, sort of 13, 14, they're really vulnerable again for many other things. And I went, you can't just pull the security blanket away. Uh, we have to find the money and we have to increase it to 10 years because we literally pay for everything. We pay for the transport, we pay for their, their uniforms, their ballet shoes, tights, all like this. Um, the teachers, it's all a scholarship for them. It's all free. We rely on, on people's generosity and, and that to fund it. Um, and when we, as the company was, you know, facing, you know, possibly closing, people kept saying, well, you need to, you know, all we're doing is paying for all this, but we're getting nothing back. I went, what do you mean you're getting nothing back? You can't, you know, I'll... I'll even make the tickets myself and sell them if it saves us money to be able to keep that program going because these are people's lives and you know quite often and sometimes they're the first um, person to go to college out of their whole, their whole family yeah wow so is it to any college they get into or what's the agreement with that well basically if they base if they have their grades are kept uh-huh. then there's like usf right off given scholarships new college so you know a lot of the florida based ones and if they don't then we help them and we find ways we can help them wow. get to college. that's so neat so yeah it's a, a brilliant program so so all those really all lie on my shoulder. Yeah. How big is the school now? Has it grown or is it? Yep. So we've got um, about 130 in the regular South Sota Ballet School. We've got, I think, 150 in the at-risk program, Dance the Next Generation, and then 24 in the conservatory. So what do you look for when you are hiring new company members? I've always wondered, like, how do people that are looking for company members, I mean, kind of how do you know what to find or how to find it? I try to, I try to, you know, obviously technique, but that's, you know, uh, all everybody go, you know, looks at technique, but I'm not so, you know, obsessed with, you know, well, they can only get their, you know, their legs so high, it should be up by their ears. Um, I look to see the artistry. I love to see see their personalities, to see how they, how, what we can bring out of them. I mean, you know, as I say, I, I, it used to be the case that when you used to, you know, have students and you'd go, okay, you're such a height, then you should be going to Pacific Northwest. No, you're small, you need to go there. If you look at my company, in a way, I don't, you can't turn around, no one can turn around and say, oh, you should be with Sarasota Valley because... I look, I have so many different, different sort of heights because I need them for different valleys. But they, what they have is they have the passion and the, and the commitment and obviously the technique. But it, it really is, artistry is a, a big thing. You know, you can't do some of, you know, the, these works that we do um, if you don't have that understanding, you know. That was really hard when I got here, when we started doing, you know, the two pigeons, because, you know, the the principal dancers would do something, you know, and then they'd look in the the mirror. They're like, what are you doing that for? 
well, that was quite funny. And, you know, I went, no, your job is to be that person. And you're so committed to it that you actually bring the audience into the room. Uh, you don't go out to the audience and do all, you know, the vaudeville type thing. You, need, you, you have to believe in that character and it's your job to, to do that. If the choreographer wants you to play out to the audience, you play out to the audience, but you can't do that in every single ballet you do. That was quite a hard learning curve, I think. So what would be your advice for an aspiring dancer who might want to have any or have an interest in, you know, auditioning for your company or being a part of your program at all? I think you need to um, believe, believe in yourself. I think that you have to be, you know, be prepared to work. It's, um, it isn't an easy, and certainly with Sarasota Valley, it isn't an easy, easy life with the rehearsal schedules we have. And so, no, it, it's, I find that quite a lot is that people don't have that confidence. And I, I understand it. You know, you come down and you're being judged on that two-hour, you know, class. You know, it's very hard. And, you know, a lot of the things that I think people should be doing as well is be very careful when you're sending your applications in asking for a job. And what do you mean by that? Well, if you go, to whom it may concern, (laughs) well, you should know who you're writing to. Yeah, and if you, you know, you have to send a photograph in that represents you. So if you send a little sort of, photograph that you'd use as your bus pass or your passport, then actually send something that we can see, something that really depicts and captures you. Don't try to be something you're not, because then you see, and the same with the, the you know, the photographs of, you know, your dancing. Um, and, you know, just sort of really present it in a clear way, because you'd be surprised what you get through. And when you're dealing with it, I mean, when I was working with Matthew Bourne, he used to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people wanting to audition. There physically wasn't any time. And so, you know, even though, you know, it could have been the best dancer in the world, the most beautiful dancer in the world, if their CV came in and he went, they couldn't be bothered, it would go in the bin. Because there are so many. So that that thing is always said. And, you know, sometimes we get a lot of it where people are now sending all the clips via YouTube and Internet, which is can be useful. So if I'm on a long journey, then I can be watching them there. If I come up from rehearsal and just before I go into a meeting, if I've got to quickly download something so I would sometimes I would actually go to the trouble of sending both a link and also a DVD. Now, what about I've heard from some of the other guests that um, if you can, it's good to go to a location and take company classes and both get a feel for whether it would work from for you. I mean, is that something you like or no? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it can be really off-putting because, you know, for instance, for, for personally, from our company's point of view, there isn't an awful lot of room for just to have people endlessly turning up. If somebody's gone, okay, 
the same position I maybe was in, they're using all their money. I think I'm going to fly to Sarasota or come in by, you know, right. the bus from Miami or whatever. On the off chance that if I turn up at the stage door, I can do company class. And if I'm not here, right, then they've wasted all that money, you know. Think carefully. And sometimes it's it, it can work two ways. Yes, if suddenly you're there, the door can be opened. But more often than not, you need to go through the process. And a couple of times I've had it where somebody said, but I can't make the audition, I can't afford to to come in. And we've gone, okay, re-look at their CV. I'll make calls, I'll look at VD, um, and then sometimes I'll try and find money to bring them in. Well, how do um, dancers then, if they're auditioning for a company, how do they stand out in a cattle call? You know, I've, it just seems as if you're having hundreds and hundreds. How How do you notice somebody just by the commitment by their feeling of doing it because i take into account nerves i take into account that don't come the company here will laugh they'll, they'll tell people don't wear green because i'm superstitious and i don't like green there's a thing about green in the theater but <laughs> so you know you guys say if you come into me don't wear green um, but it's sort of basically i think it's don't be over pushy, but be confident and stand where you can see, if we do it in groups, you can make sure that you can see where the director's sitting. Equally, don't try and do class on top of him because actually he'll be looking past you anyhow. So, you know, just sort of really, and you know what the other big thing is? Is the way you are when you're not actually doing the exercise. So if you go and you're sat there sort of like, you know, slimped against the bar going like, God, look at that person, I can do much better than that. I pick up on that. Right. Because when you're a small company and if you're touring, you have to think that you're going to be with that person for hours, for days, for weeks. And you don't want someone who's going to already have a bit, you know, a bit of an attitude or equally you also need somebody who has got a personality otherwise uh, otherwise it'd be like yeah everybody would be you know so it's, it's a hard one there's no clear line and each director has their own taste so you could be for me oh my god absolutely beautiful yes i definitely want you you could go to some other director and they'll go, um, could you leave after bar, please? <laughs> and isn't it true also that sometimes you're in need of a certain kind of, you know, you might have a male dancer in mind and you're looking for a certain female that might work or, or is that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that happens, of course. I mean, you know, I, I do remember about, I don't know how, oh, a very long time ago, there was a big audition in London and it, the studio was packed and they literally went around with the costume going, no, 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 because all they had was these costumes and if you were too big, you <laughs> didn't like fit Cinderella. the we're, we're not like that. Yeah, it's not like that. But sure, you know, you could be looking for somebody, you know, you get an audition and you want somebody, you know, a tall person and suddenly you get all the small ones up at the audition. So, well, actually, but you never know. There might be that one that just stands out and you think, oh, well, actually, maybe I can, you know, play with the figures a little bit how can I fit that person in because they would be really good for these sort of ballets so yeah it's hard I mean I I'm you know 
I'm glad I don't have to, you know, I've never had to audition. <laughs> well, you, you do hear across the board that it sometimes is um, when, when, when you haven't had to, that most people are thankful they haven't had to because it does sound like it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. And you go, you know, the, the thing that I do that I absolutely hate is can you wear numbers? Because, and we also take photographs because, again, sometimes the photograph they send with all their documents doesn't look like the person standing in front of you. And, you know, you see so many people that you've got to identify, and it's easy to quickly write notes on, on, you know, one, two, three, four, rather than, oh, that's Joan, that's Sybil, that's, do you know what I mean? So, oh, it would be so hard. I can't imagine. Just, I mean, we've gone on two weekends now in, in uh, Chicago for auditions and everybody is beautiful and looks the same (laughs) (laughs) i mean somehow ballet attracts beauty but um but on top of it you know everybody i don't know how you stand out you see everybody trying different things like a little flower in their hair but you know for the most part i don't personally think as an outsider that it's worth it to wear a a bright colored leotard because i think that is a little too (laughs) off-putting Don't wear, don't wear anything that makes you not who you are. I mean, if you want to come in with your tiara on there, that's fine. That shows who you are, but no, thank you. But do you know what I mean? It's, it is, and it is terrible. It's that first first impression. Well, it is. It is, and it's a visual art, so you do have to kind yeah, of... Yeah. But I, I do believe that I kind of, uh, you know, really look through and really try to see you know, something different. I don't just go, you know, oh, no. Well, Ian, thank you so much, you know, for your time. I, I you know, I, I do like to end my interviews with three questions that I ask every guest, and it's kind of fun to hear the different answers. But the first one is if you could go back in time to your 13-year-old self, which obviously is before even starting dance, <laughs> with the wisdom and confidence and knowledge that you know, what advice would you give yourself well it's difficult because i wasn't dancing so i would have probably been at 13 i would have said which um soccer team would i be going for (laughs) Um, (laughs) so let's maybe like move it forward to 16 (laughs) i think that it would be the advice would be to really you know be focused be somehow you know stronger aware of of the challenges and and I, I think that it's also one of those where, um, for me personally, would have had more confidence, more belief. I think than than that would have been that would be the advice I would have wanted at sixteen is believe and have confidence in what you're doing. And then with that same wisdom, what advice would you give to aspiring dancers today? To be honest, the same. You know, there's no there's no difference. Yeah, it's it's the same. Believe in it. If you, you know, I think that it's always this thing of you know have both feet on the ground, and when you you know you hit, get knocked down, get back up again, and really, if you're going to commit to something, commit it, but be sensible and also know what your body can do, rather than believe you know you could be the next Brishnikov. There's not going to be another one. Do you know what I mean? Be realistic, but Try and go for your dreams at that age. Otherwise, it's, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, do you have a motivational quote that you'd like to share? Um, a motivational quote. That's very American. As English aren't really motivated. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I don't know. I think that, you know, I think that one of the quotes, I think, is the one from Mr. Balanchine, really. And when he said, I don't want dancers who need to dance. I want dancers who have to dance. I think that's great. I love that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, because I, I think it is, it's that, you know, that thing of, you know, and, and really advice to everybody is work really hard on your technique, but remember the artistry. I love that. And so many of my guests have said that. And, you know, I think that's so true because from a non-dancer's perspective, you know, I don't notice how many turns, but I do notice if they look like they're just in love with doing what they're doing. Dance dance happens between each step. Don't just do one step, the other step. You have to get there. So therefore you have to dance there. Yeah. I don't typically watch always the best technical dancers. I watch the ones that are sparkly in their face and they just are telling a story and and they might not have as great of technique as the person yeah, next to believe them, in what they're, they're doing it is a, an art form and you know it's like anything you, you watch the art more than the yeah technical yeah, no, piece definitely definitely well congratulations on all of your success well thank you oh well have a great night okay, okay you too take care all right bye 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 and thanks everyone for joining me again on balancing point podcast If you want to learn more about Ian or about Sarasota Ballet, then stop by my website and check out Ian's show notes page. You can find that at balancingpoint.com under podcasts. And also, if you're enjoying this podcast and the inspirational interviews, I would love for you to consider giving an iTunes rating or review. You can do this on the iTunes app on your iPhone or on your computer. Thanks again and have a great day.